Sprouted is a global ecosystem of the very best experts and solution providers within people, performance, and culture. Companies like CultureAmp, VegaFactor, XOWorks, and many more ready to help you solve your toughest organizational challenges. Every strategic partner is chosen for their deep expertise within their fields and is supercharged by the Sprouted ecosystem. The result? You have a place to go for solutions that are holistic, impactful, and sustainable. No more fragmented transformation or trade-offs. Find solutions that are purpose-fit for your needs. Visit Sprouted.com to learn more. Hey there. Well, look, we had recorded this podcast. We were just about to release it when some exciting news came out just before our launch, and we decided to add a little extra piece here to share that news, and we want to do that because we believe it gives more context to this conversation. The news is that a landmark deal was just announced uh, about a recent partnership between Qantas and Airbus. Now, there's a couple things that, that are special about this. First, it was part of a commitment on Qantas's part to achieve net zero emissions by 2050. Second, it was to increase their fleet with the biggest deal in the history of Australian aviation, as well as adding 12 ultra-long-range Airbus A350-1000s, which will now also allow direct flights from Australia to any city in the world starting in 2025. All interesting and very exciting. However, this is even more exciting over here because the team that was responsible for this partnership was led by Marie Frederic, our guest today. And part of our conversation really was around what it takes to lead teams towards such massive deals. But to add this additional context is really super exciting. We're so happy for everybody over at Qantas and Airbus around this news and looking forward to seeing all the great things that are going to come from it. So with that, let's get going. Hey, everybody, Culture Craig, and thanks for joining us once again on the Humanity Works podcast. My guest today is Marie Frederic Romaine. She also goes by MF in her circles, and she is the VP of Sales for the Pacific Region at Airbus and also one of the youngest female executives in the aviation industry. Now, I didn't know much about Marie prior to working together on this podcast, but the people geek in me got really excited when I learned that I was going to be interviewing somebody who's responsible for negotiating and selling aircrafts. I mean, she's behind some of the world's largest aircraft deals, and I couldn't wait to get in there and learn more about what drives her and how she approaches her work. So some of the key points that we discuss are the power and influence leaders have to help craft and shape the careers of others challenging traditional narratives in the workplace, what it looks like to lead by example, and leveraging both direct and indirect influence in building high-performing teams. You know, but the thing was, after our conversation, I couldn't stop thinking about how much focus she put on teamwork, respect, empathy, vulnerability, and compassion. I mean, here was a person that is at the helm of closing massive deals across an incredible number of stakeholders, and it was all coming back to these human skills. Not some sort of cutthroat aggression that's often amplified in the world of high-stakes sales. I think I'd like to start by correcting my introduction when I, you know, you asked me, what do I do? And I said, I sell aircraft. That was very arrogant to me because we sell aircraft. I, I wanted to simplify, but my observations on leadership is that alone you're nothing, truly. You're not very much. But together, when you come together as a team, when you find the right people, the right vibe, the, the right energy you're able to move mountains. Marie is not an HR professional. She's not somebody that's tasked with building culture. She's a leader, a manager, a salesperson. And for me, a representation of what's possible when we bring more human to work and how we can all rethink leading and motivating others. So get ready to be inspired and also get a sneak peek under the hood of what it takes to sell aircrafts. 
Let's get to the interview. Three, two, one. Hey, Marie, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. I'm super excited about this conversation. Thanks for joining us here at Humanity Works. How are you doing? I'm very good. Thank you very much, Craig. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to get right into it. Uh, I imagine, like me, some of our listeners, many of our listeners might not know who you are. Can you just share with, with all of us a bit about yourself, kind of catching us up and telling us a bit about what you're doing today? Yes, of course. So, yeah, my name is Marie Frédéric, but most people call me Marie and I have other nicknames. I'm a 40-year-old, half-French, half-Polish uh, woman, a mother to a beautiful daughter of six years old and married to a gorgeous husband. I am currently in Australia while we're recording this podcast because I work a lot with the Pacific region as I'm working for Airbus, uh, the aircraft manufacturer, as a vice president sales for the Pacific region. So in summary, a very long title to say that I sell aircraft. I um, became uh, passionate about aircraft and the industry in general from an early age. And when I was looking for a company that had uh, values that appealed to me, I think Airbus is a European company. It's no longer French and it embodies uh, for me all those values that I was looking for. So I think that was what you know one took me to the, the place where I am right now. But before that, I, I, I started um, and studied politics because that was my first love. Um, I wanted to join the, the French government as Ministry of Defense and be the first woman to do that. But somebody beat me to it. Uh, but that was my initial ambition. So politics was the first thing. And then I moved on to a business degree that I was lucky to do both in London and in the US. And I joined um, another French company that works in aerospace, which is called Thales for my first work experience. I then moved on to General Electric in their energy sector, contributing to the sale of power plants. And then I finally joined Airbus about 11 years ago. Quite a journey in the industry, but a fascinating one. Mm. I've been very lucky. So it's fair to say you sell large things. Yes, I do. I mean, if I was met you at a party, I'd probably have you trapped and ask you all kinds of questions about selling airplanes because it's such a fascinating thing and something most people probably don't get to, to learn much about. What was it? Was there a particular time in your life or a story where it clicked? Because it sounded like even even through the power plants, uh, aeronautics was was a very big interest for you. Was there a, a story or a moment that uh, where you became fascinated and this became a passion for life? I think there were a few. Um, so maybe two reasons. Uh, when I was younger, uh, like most people, I, I was doing a numerous part-time jobs. And one of them was hosting conferences and different business events. And in those environments, they're mainly uh, female dominated. And, you know, as a, as a young woman of 16 years old working in this environment, although it was a learning experience in itself, I felt it was a sometimes a harsh environment, a whole female dominated environment where, you know, I, I felt not necessarily very much at ease when I began. So I think that was also a driver, especially when you come out of a business school where a lot of people go into luxury goods or banking or marketing. For me, I wanted to take a step back from this and and learn more um, about a different environment that I wasn't familiar with. As I mentioned earlier, I wanted to study politics and I personally don't like politicians that don't know what they're talking about. So my, my initial idea was before I become Minister of Defense, I need to learn what the defense industry is. So that was one of the reasons. And then 
uh, to be honest, I also uh, met some great people in my younger careers, um, you know, traveling and um, and I met uh, somebody who was passionate about aircraft and uh, and also shared its passion. And I realized, wow, you can actually work in an environment when you love so much the product you sell, because it's so much more than a, a thing. It's an aircraft. It connects people worldwide. It's linked to, you know, the growth of a country. Um, what they were trying to achieve, the openness of borders and everything. So getting that passion from an early age that has been my driving force moving forward. What are some of the most important experiences in, in your life that set you up for the success you're experiencing today? Were there some leaders or events that occurred that were influential early on? What were those things that you think really set you up or helped you in your journey to where you are today? So if I start with the beginning, when I joined my first company, Thales, what was really interesting is that um, I joined a team where I was the youngest, uh, the only woman, um, but working with colleagues who were on average 20 years older than me. And so that was an opening experience because I discovered care. Um, I was cared for. I had a lot of mentors, like unofficial mentors, that people who were willing to transmit their knowledge to me. Uh, I had never experienced that before in my life. And I thought, wow, are all companies like this? You know, do we always find, um, you know, people they didn't, discriminate me because I was far younger or a woman. They embraced me and my ideas and my energy. And I thought, wow, I want to reproduce this going forward. I have been uh, very impressed by some of the leaders I've had in my career. I've, I've worked for a few of them and, and, and maybe outlining one of them. I think he was the most human person I've ever met. Um, he was, uh, he is actually, but he's retired now, but he was, you know, one of our great salesperson at Airbus who did so much for Airbus and make it the company what it is today. And um, he had the ability to, you know, he had such a big team, but he knew everybody's name. He knew everybody's spouse's name. He knew what that people had kids, that people had gone somewhere on holiday. And so even though he was there arbitrating on very strategic deals for the company, he always had that kind word for everyone. And my observations is the amount of loyalty that you have for people that care for you is huge. And you could feel sincerity and authenticity. And I've always said to myself, you know, I want to be like him one day. And so when I move on in my life and I, and I observe my own behavior and I try to have self-awareness on what I do well and what I don't do so well, I always come back to this image of what that leader is. And, and maybe also because I do believe that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Of course, like anyone, I've had less good leadership. Um, but the beauty of having less good leadership is you then see exactly what you don't want to become, um, what you don't want to be, the, the, the style that, that makes you feel uneasy and that you feel is, you know, hurting the overall outcome. So it's a mix of having had those beautiful experiences and those more, most difficult ones gave me, you know, the opportunity to try and define my own style of leadership and what I want to be. What I love, what I heard was you, you talked about you felt included, there's inclusivity, belonging, there was compassion. And more and more that's coming up, it particularly, I think sometimes there's a misalignment between what leaders feel they need to do to be successful. And more and more we're hearing from employees, particularly in this great resignation, is they're looking for those particularly belonging is one of, the, one of the highest. And you said that. I do like that you mentioned that there were challenges, and I think that's so important. It's easy to call, talk about all the positives and the support. As comfortable as you are, could you share a bit about a challenge you faced early that has helped define you as a leader today? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to get into too many bias and stereotypes. Yeah. But to be fair, when I begin my career, most salespeople, especially in the aerospace 
environment were men. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but there were, I'd say, middle-aged men. And when I began, I had this like kind of, um, you know, complex that people wouldn't take me seriously because I was only 26, 27, whatever my age is. And um, I remember I used to age myself as much as I could physically and, you know, tie a bun on my on my head and wear glasses and put those really serious earrings so that people think I would be older. Now, to be fair, Craig, today I'm doing the other way around. I'm trying to look younger. But that's... <laughs> But at the time, I felt very, how would I be taken seriously? Because my experience was not great. I mean, I was faced with customers who had like such a breadth of experience, 20, 30 years. And here I am, I've got a year in the job. But what I, I discovered was that if you acknowledge it, if you come out, you're not trying to be something you're not. You know, my first negotiation, I was new. There was no point saying I wasn't. Um, and also, I've observed generally in the world nowadays, you know, we've seen political leaders climbing to the higher governmental positions who are young. And I think that's kind of reshuffled it a little bit. So, you know, that was one thing that I, I did find um, challenging when I began. And and of course, when you, I began in my career, I don't think being a woman was such an issue. I think it's uh, it's uh, it was different. And I, I didn't see myself, you know, you come out of a meeting room and then somebody tells you, do you realize you are the only woman in the room? Uh, no, actually, you, you're now telling me, but I didn't. So I think the challenges of that came later, you know, and I think it's a challenge for every woman out there when you're in the ages between 30 or 25, whatever. When you decide to have a family, when you decide to grow your, your family, then suddenly you feel like people look at you differently. You know, am I going to invest in MF? Because, you know, maybe she's going to, you know, have a baby next year or whatever. And so this challenge is a huge one. And I think it still is. I wish it wasn't. When I have mentees that ask me, you know, do you think having a family is an issue? I I wish I could say, oh, no, don't worry. You'll have no issue. You will. Because there are still people that are uneasy with the fact that they don't want to develop somebody who's going to potentially be away from from work for a little time to care for their loved ones. And I see my my position today as a great opportunity to fight against this. You know, when somebody breaks their leg and they're away from work for six months, nobody says anything. So, you know, why would we have to come to such crazy comparisons when we're talking about somebody's well-being, somebody's, you know, building their family and it's so important to their own development. So, you know, I want to encourage that and not make it an issue. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. When when that employee comes to you and says, do you think it'll be an issue if I start a family and whatnot? And you say, look, I'm going to be honest. Yes. Um, but let's go, let's pretend we're having that conversation. We don't have to pretend to share with me what, but then what would be the advice you'd give to that same employee? What would you say to that? I imagine it's a woman. It might be a man. What would you say to that employee? Um, yes, it is an issue. And, and you're going to deal with it. Do what makes you happy. You're in control of your life. And you'll deal with it. I personally have had in my career, I remember one of my previous boss who told me, you will not be able to have it all. Mm. You will not be able to be successful, happily married with children. And I think she came from a world where that was impossible. And I believe it was impossible. I mean, I'm not criticizing her or anything. So, and when I heard that, I felt very angry. And I think it kind of pushed a button in me. And I said, yes. I can have it all according to my definition, which isn't everybody's definition, but I want to try. And I tried. And yes, I, um, there were moments where I was put aside, professionally speaking, um, just after, you know, the birth of my daughter. And that hurt. But I recovered thanks to, you know, hard work, 
because let's not forget that <laughs> there's a lot of work involved in being successful, right? It doesn't happen by magic. And and it made me who I am and, and I and I built my shell. So to come back to your question, Craig, it's you can do it and and kind of build your shell, protect yourself. And how do you do that? Focus on the people who care about you, around you, and that's professionally and personally. They will help you through this and you will recover and then you'll be even stronger. That's awesome. I, it's just, that's what I love so much about these conversations, just digging in and hearing this. How has it shifted as you become more senior executive? Has there been, has there been a change, you know, as you're just, I'm interested in that, that, that vantage point now in your career as you've become more senior. Well, the one thing that comes to my mind is that things are changing massively right now. Yeah. I'm very grateful to Sprouta among other things, because, um, you know, I met some of the founders of Sprouta 10 years ago and they, initiated me and educated me towards uh, a lot of things that I wasn't aware of and no, and it, most especially about the strengths of being vulnerable mm. and um, and you know that's something that you hear a lot nowadays but 10 years ago it was quite new and I believe that was one of the biggest gifts that I received that being vulnerable was actually okay and more than okay it actually what you know is what enables you to make a real strong difference that change and that focus on vulnerability, I see it now. And I've seen it for the last four or five years. My own company has made such a big effort in, you know, changing their leadership model to accommodate the fact that you need to be yourself. You need to be authentic, that people will trust you when you're yourself. And in, especially in my line of business, when you sell aircraft or when you sell anything, to be honest, I'm sure you've been in that situation, Craig, uh, when you, you know, renovate your house and you see different salesmen, people, right? It's all about trust in the end. Mm -hmm. It's all about trust. Is that person going to deliver what they say they're going to uh, trying to sell to me? And to come back to the basics, how do you build trust when you're honest, when they can look at you in the eye and you say, I'm going to do my very best to give you what you want. If you are not aware, if you don't work on your self-awareness and on, on what makes you human, which is vulnerability, then it's really hard to make that connection. And it's all about connecting. And I'm quite optimistic, and even coming back to your previous conversation, encouraging people, the way I see change right now happening, I'm thinking this is so much more at the core of most businesses. And I, I strongly believe that it will make businesses thrive. I couldn't agree more. I'm so happy that you were turned on to this idea of vulnerability. For me, it was reading Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. Um, and it was phenomenal that that shift and for me this idea that vulnerability was weakness that's a very and and i get why because vulnerable can be it's scary but the more i've played with it i find it there's this there's this strength component this courage component um and the more i've used it i've i've felt more powerful in my work more powerful in my life and i just to hear you reflect on it as well have you found the same thing has there been this kind of interesting shift on on how you saw vulnerability and as you really, it, it seems like you've used it over the years, I've found there to be a power. I love what you said about you not being comfortable with the idea of being vulnerable because you saw it as, you know, perceived it as a weakness. If you look at most of my, um, I'd say, uh, performance reviews in my early years, mm -hmm. the one thing that kept on coming back is, yeah, you're doing a good job. You work really hard. You're very engaged. Great. But you're too emotional. And that's something that I got a lot. And my sister, who worked in the private sector as well, so me, you know, all also got the same thing. You're too emotional. 
And that's something I hear a lot about, you know, mm-hmm. women mostly, because I think we're more comfortable with our emotions. And so we put them out there, but it used to be seen as a weakness. And so the years go by to answer your question. And then I meet this colleague who was now a peer, but used to be my boss, etc., and says, oh, wow, you've changed so much. I've seen you grow and you are so much more in, in, in control of your emotions. And I'm like, I don't think I am. I mean, to a certain degree, right? But I think it's more the, the company who's more open to my emotions. So it's less a problem now to say I'm not happy or, um, you know, share an anecdote. Okay, I was young, but I I want to... I was very pleased with the transaction I did. I did. I, I had sold two aircraft. It was only two, but it was quite difficult for the reasons um, that belonged to that transaction. And I was expecting this massive, great score on my performance review. And I got a good score and I started crying. And my boss was like, it is a good score. Why are you crying? And I'm like, well, I was expecting more because, you know, da, da, da. And, um, and, he, was like, and he was so at loss with what to do with me. But what was really interesting about this leader, who turned out to be an amazing leader, is he ran to HR and said, I must be a bad manager because I've just given somebody a great news and that person's crying. <laughs> what do I do now? And what's even better is that he came back to me and he shared with me his whole self-awareness quest. You know, maybe I missed it. You know, he questioned himself rather than saying, you know, there's something wrong with you. Um, so... Nowadays, I think I no longer cry, mm-hmm. but I voice my opinion. Mm-hmm. I speak up. I think people, and, and same with my customers, not just with my colleagues. They see when I'm happy. They see when I'm not that happy. They see when I'm frustrated. But God, it simplifies relationships. It simplifies them. And so it makes us much more efficient. Yeah. And a lot of what you shared there is a very, I'm very hopeful. And what you shared, maybe maybe the organizations are changing. It's not that we're changing, that we're more accepting and understanding. Um, yeah. And I also, when I, was, when I was young, I got that. You're so emotional. You should really bother me. You know, I didn't know what, to, I didn't know what to do with that. Right. That is, is feeling emotions bad. And I think also as I've grown and, and leaned into that as well, I think it's super powerful to be in control of your emotions, be able to speak to your emotions. So I think that's a great segue. So let's get a little more tactical now. How do you think about leadership, right? When you're approaching that, you know, we're trying to get the job done. We're trying to be empathetic, compassionate, but there are objectives and they're all metrics. And tell me about your, your, your approach or thoughts on leadership in general. Well, I think I'd like to start by correcting my introduction when I, you know, you asked me, what do I do? And I said, I sell aircraft. That was very arrogant to me because we sell aircraft. We sell aircraft. Um, yeah. I, you know, it's, I wanted to simplify, but uh, my observations on leadership is that alone, you're nothing, truly. You're not very much. But together, when you come together as a team, when you find the right people, the right vibe, the the right energy, you're able to move mountains. And so, having been part of teams like this, that's why as a as a that's what as a leader I'm trying to reproduce. And when I say that, it starts from who I recruit, um, how I develop people. So yes, I, most of my team are men. So I, um, I actually enjoy telling them that, you know, sharing their emotions, you know, transmitting the knowledge that I got from my friends at Sprouta to them, saying it's okay to be vulnerable as a man also. It's, you know, do all these things to, to, to constantly develop. And, and then the last part of after development is make them grow. Of course, you love your team and, and, and you love the dynamics, but the biggest gift you can do as a leader is make people grow. So they have to go. 
And just like parents, when they let their children fly away, well, you have to do the same thing, which isn't always easy because, you know, you get in that comfort zone as a leader where you feel surrounded by a great set of caring, motivated people, and you don't want people to take them away from you. But that's the best gift you can you can give them. Mm. So for me, those are three steps. And in all the recruitment, the development and the growth, it's, again, about the same values. Um, I recruit humility. Number one quality of a good salesperson is being humble. If I take my example, um, we sell aircraft to airlines. Let's be clear. Airlines, they probably know our aircraft better than we do because they operate it every day. So, you know, you're not going to teach them anything. You're there to help them find a solution to their needs. Humility and then in development, it's being working on self-awareness. And then in growth, it's working on, you know, what is it that you want to do later in your life that will make you happy? Because I truly believe that, you know, anything is possible if you set your mind to it. I love that you hit on that piece about the biggest gift is developing them moving on. And I think it hits the crux of the challenge of the manager is it about you? Is it about them? And I think it's very easy as a manager to get stuck in the team is simply a set of resources for you to manage to get the outcome. And if somebody's a high performer, you don't want to lose them, but that's all about you. And I think that's the biggest pitfall in leadership management. And I think that even though we can't always put our finger on it, we know, we know if, if somebody cares about us or if we are just part of a bigger equation to get somebody else's needs met. Um, so it's just such a great example that I think highlights that of where is it about you the manager is it about the employee can you take yourself out of the equation yeah i totally agree with you sometimes you feel selfish but you want to keep them and um and i think and i think it's important that we should all honor that side of us all of us have that side all of us can be selfish right not making it good or bad but to the emotional intelligence piece are you able to see it can you say oh that's my selfish side i don't i want to make sure i manage that well I think sometimes we put down things we don't think are good but they're human we all have experienced selfishness we've all experienced giving in our lives, but being intentional about it, not being driven blindly by it, especially as a manager, when people are watching and feeling. There's a lot of gratification in doing this as well, because then as you make your own progression in your career, then these people come back to you and they want to follow you. And you feel, wow, this is your my ego boost of the day. But you know, it's about what's better for them um, and, and being able to do that. But it's a, it's a challenging one, especially because it takes so much time. And I know that today, especially after the COVID years, Recruiting great talent, you know, is probably every company's biggest challenge right now. Not only recruiting, but keeping them, you know, finding the right uh, motivation, engagement in, in what the world we're currently living in. So once you've done that to see people go, uh, it's hard, but it's good for them. So, you know, good exercise. This season, we're talking to change makers and fire starters with the drive to do impactful and courageous work. Want to know if you're a fire starter too? Sprout has created an interactive quiz to help you discover where you are on your journey to drive big, impactful change. Explore Sprouta's activation pack full of free tools and resources. Head to sprouta.com forward slash activate. We know we had a prep call and you said to me something about if I saw your resume, I wouldn't even look. I, I spend very little time looking at the experience. I'm looking for, what did, what did you share with me? Yeah, well, I shouldn't say that because I know some people spend so much time working on their resumes, right? And so that's going to be a, a discredit to their work. And everybody's different. Look, uh, my view is that if you have the right set of soft skills, I think you can learn everything. And that's the message I push within the company. I'll give you an example. In my company, I find 
my our HR department is extremely good. I've been working with really great people who are really focused on development. And while you are having those interactions about, you know, your team and, and their careers or yourself and their career, you're meeting these great people and you're thinking, this lady spends her day negotiating with employees about, you know, topics which are difficult, uh, progression, growth, salary. And so they are sitting and listening and, you know, have developed such a great set of skills to do any negotiation with any customer. Because what is a customer? A customers tend to complain, mm -hmm. tend to want more, mm. uh, tend to get the best out of you. So it's a little bit of the same relation, relationship. Why am I giving this example? Some of these people don't think they could be selling aircraft. And I'm like, why not? You spend your whole day listening to people, number one criteria, trying to find ways to fix problems, number two. So, you know, you do already those two things in your daily life. You can sell an aircraft. You learn the hard skills. If your mind is in the right place and you surround yourself with people who know more, you learn from them, then you can do anything. So yes, Craig, I, I honestly, knowing you, I don't really care what you did before. What I see is somebody who's got, you know, values that appeal to me and a way to speak and a lot of things come out of our conversation. Mm -hmm. And yes, apply. <laughs> So uh, Culture Craig might be airline Culture Craig soon selling airlines. Although it sounds, <laughs> if I could have a, a, a side career, it just sounds really, I was want, I want to go try it. Um, and, you know, you also said something, this idea of like, I can't, somebody says I can't sell an airplane, but I think what you said earlier is like, no, you can't, we do. Like no one person sells an airplane, right? So I think it's almost, it's that ego too of how we get in our own ways. It's too big, it's too much, but really big things don't happen by individuals, you know? And I, you know, even in my own journey, and I think about building the community. So I'm involved in our culture first community at culture amp and I've never built a community before. And, you know, now we have close to 70 chapters globally, but I think the, the, the learning lesson there is I don't need to know. I just need to have passion and interest in the fundamentals. And the lesson has been, we do this together. And that's been the biggest gift for me. And I, it sounds like that's kind of been a theme also in, in your journey. No one person sells, you know, these are massive deals. Yeah, and it's and you you've said the word I I forgot to use passion. Mm. All begins with passion. You have to be passionate about what you do. I mean, there's this saying that I love. You know, find a job you love, and you'll never have to work another day in your life. Um, I'm personally one of the privileged. You know, when people talk to you about work-life balance, you know, one of those uh, standard question I get, if I if I may put it this way, I always think, well, you know, when you look at um, at a rugby player, I'm currently in Australia, so let's talk about rugby. And, you know, you look at a rugby player, the rugby player travels a lot, is away from his family quite often, works with a team, is nothing, you know, on its own, right? He needs a team to be successful in what he does. And so when you meet a rugby player for the first time, do you ask him about work-life balance? No, you don't. You're sitting there looking at him with admiration because he's doing such a cool job. And I always think it's the same, right? It's like, if you have the right passion, I'm like the rugby player. You know, I yes, I leave my family uh, once in a while to, to, to see customers, but I'm happy doing what I do, so it's okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's um, such, a, such a great reminder too, yeah, about passion. And there's lots of ways passion finds its way into different industries. You didn't say, I'm just so passionate about selling planes, it's all I ever want to do. It was, it was something bigger about, you know, connecting humans and building, you know, companies and countries. So I, I just, it's a good reminder too, that to look at what, pa where passion lies and as a leader to help 
tease that out. I think we talk a lot about that, that, you know, the values in organization don't have to be exactly the values of the individuals, but we have to figure out a way to connect the two. What do you bring in as, as your individual? Now we have to organize as large groups to do something. So how do we connect those two together? And I think it's the same thing with the passion. How do you take an individual's passion and connect them to the work they're doing uh, in some way, shape or form? And you see this as well in our customers. Uh, most airlines are passionate. I mean, I challenge you next time you fly uh, with whichever airline. I mean, the pilots are passionate about what they do and the people working and leading those airlines, um, they, of course, they're a business, right? It's about being successful and, and growing and having a, a successful a track record. But they do it with passion. Mm -hmm. There's a pride, you know, from from privately owned airlines to publicly owned one. Um, I've honestly um, don't think I've ever met any one of my customers who wasn't passionate about his company. And actually, you would probably notice, and I don't want to, you know, throw around random numbers, but that uh, the longevity of people in Airbus, for example, is probably quite similar than the ones you find in airlines. People don't switch jobs or companies every three years. They tend to really be integrated, to going back to my point, in the company. They're proud of working for their airline or for Airbus. And so they don't want to go. Why would they? Because I always say that, you know, Airbus is a little bit like a family mm. with all its, you know, pros and cons, like any like any good family reunion. Like any good family, right? Yeah. But, it, but, but it's a... Uh, and the beauty is it's a family I chose, for example. Um, so... Um, those are the kind of words that appeal to me. And when you feel part of that family, then yeah, why would you leave? And that's because of the passion mm. you feel. And the love. I would even use go as far as using that word. Speaking with Marie is fascinating, not just because of her incredible approach to leadership, which is so centered around passion, empathy, and vulnerability, but also thinking about this in the context of what's it take to close these large deals, essentially the biggest in aviation history. I really wanted to know what's it like to sell an aircraft? How many people are involved in What's it take to land deals like these? No pun intended. The one thing I'd like to, to share is mm -hmm. that generally selling one aircraft to 100 aircraft is kind of the same job. <laughs> That's the first point. People think that suddenly because you're selling 100, you're having 100 times more things to do. Actually, you'd be surprised. It's, you know, there are no small customers or big customers for us. Um, and the amount of work is quite, it's almost similar. Some of the deals have worked and, and, and won. I like to say that, you know, it's, that's the beauty of it and why it makes the job so interesting is the latest one that we did involved more than 250 people within the company. Amazing. Spread across five continents. And it can go from, you know, obviously the senior management being involved. But what I really love is... Um, you know, the customer will have a very specific question on a point. Of course, I don't have the answer. And you're going to reach out through your network, your connection to try to find who's got the answer to the question. And it may end up being somebody in Canada who's super engaged and on a Sunday morning wakes up, the question is on his lap, will check his phone and give us the answer immediately. And you think, wow, so you've gone through all this process and, you know, whatever the time, uh, of the day, whatever, wherever we are, that person is sufficiently engaged that is going to unblock a problem. And so, yeah, it's super varied. Um, you know, we work across all departments at Airbus. We work across the programs, engineering, support, design office, uh, final assembly line, um, and, and everybody's involved because, you know, they're buying a product that's going to stay with them for 20 years. Mm -hmm. So that necessitates a lot of expertise throughout the company. 
I think there's something really unique here that I think a lot of times we think about leadership, we think about a team or a small team, but I think it highlights something that's really most of us are dealing with, and it's becoming even more and more how we work in global teams and how we have to be more connected. I want to talk about leadership with a different angle, and that is because I think more and more we need to look at what's out of our sphere of direct control, especially as a leader or manager, and how do we influence and how do we lead across large groups and create change or, or, or movement. Um, and I just, I'm going to put it out to you. I want to hear your thoughts on that. I think um, you're very right. Most of the people I mentioned, the 200 people, don't report to me. Um, but yes, you need to create engagement. And especially on the last transaction that we did, it was right in the middle of COVID. So no traveling, no meeting in person. So how do you build a team and engage a team from a Gmeet or a Zoom perspective um, and, and get them to, to, to buy in and do the work and be engaged? I always think that it's about giving the bigger picture. When I used a previous example about a specific question from a customer, that's an example, but it falls into a much bigger picture. Why is the airline wanting to buy aircraft? What is it that they're trying to achieve? They're replacing a fleet. They're trying to grow. They're trying to break um, you know, a, 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 a new routes that have never been explored before. Um, so why? And then how do we fit into this? You know, What is it that our aircraft are going to be able to deliver? On the part of the world that I'm in charge in the Pacific, customers are really focused on sustainability. And it's growing everywhere, but I think they've been leaders in, in that field for a long time. And how is our aircraft more sustainable than the competition? So you're going to try to use those angles internally to share the message and think and make and brainstorm and, and think on how, I mean, there are, of course, numbers that, you know, you don't need to brainstorm about, you know, we, our aircraft are 25% more fuel efficient than the competition. That's fine. But, you know, how do you make it more than about a number? Mm-hmm. How do you, you as a person, Craig or me, you contribute to sustainability in your own way. So you make it a common objective. The other thing I, I've noticed, it's, um, you know, about spending time with people that they get to know you, even if it's just through a video screen. And, and, and not they know your title or, or what you do, but they know you as a person. And that makes the connection so much more human. You're not actually just doing your job, but you're, you know, engaging with somebody, talking, communicating, sharing, learning. And I really encourage my teams to spend the time to have what you would call chit-chat, but it's not chit-chat. Not chit-chat. I mean, I, I'm sure because it's, it's your area of expertise, but, you know, there was this example of a company that forbid mobile phones in meetings. And, and I remember reading this article. It was a while ago, but for some reason, we've not been able to implement it yet. But the, the rule in this company is if you would enter into a meeting room, you would leave your mobile phone outside. Why? Because, you know, nowadays when you're waiting for the meeting to start, everybody's looking at their phone before people would talk. And this really struck me. And I always, so I have not been able to implement the leave your mobile outside of the meeting room yet, but in spirit, I try so that you have that conversation about how are you feeling? Do you have a good day, a bad day? And if it's a bad day, that's fine too. So I think that's how you connect people and you use your network to also see the, the uh, affinities, uh, that's the French word for English, but the, the common things that some people have together. Mm-hmm. And you're in this very, I'd say, powerful position where you have that eagle eye view of, you know, knowing that that person can well connect with that person. And so try to get yeah. some positive um, emulation. Find that, yeah, find those connections. I want to I want to reflect on something you just said, and I think it's really interesting. You, you know, the, the phone, what you said about leaving the phone out, and 
that the intention is that we want to connect. However, who likes to be told you can't or be, be dominated basically? Like this is how it has to be because we're going to connect, right? So I would, if I was working with that leader, I'd say, let's flip that. You don't like when people aren't, they're staring at their phones. And I think you just hit on that as a leader training and a facilitator, you can take ownership of that room in a sense and say, before we begin this meeting, everybody should take a minute, let's take a breath, let's check in, right? So it's, I see that happen a lot. We want something, but then we try to force it through asserting something on others and nobody, humans don't like to be forced or pushed, right? We want, we want agency. So it's like, I think that's so interesting sometimes when we, we try one thing, but what we do is we offset or we, we, we slip away through trying to, 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 to use force or, you know, tell somebody no. And I would push back and say, how can you, how can you invite them to connect versus, you know, I could drop my phone off and sit in the room and not really like those people anyways, and sit there and just be very cold and right. Versus how I would say to the leader, how can you encourage more connection? Let them bring their phone in. If you start asking people to connect and somebody's looking at their phone, that's strange. So, you know, that's, I think that's a really interesting story that you hit on. And also something I, I work a lot with leaders on is how do we invite people in versus telling them what they need to do? Yeah, it's a very good point. But you know, the, the, the two observations on what you said uh, about this infamous phone that we all have. Um, the leader I mentioned that inspired me to become like him. So he was executive senior vice president. He was responsible of half of the world. He had two phones. <laughs> and I was lucky to work alongside him with customers. You would never see his phone. Sharing a taxi with him, I would never see his phone. And I remember being, you know, young girl and, and very admirative of that person saying, how does he do it? Because he must receive 10 times mm -hmm. more emails or phone calls than I do. And I already feel oppressed by the bloody phone. <laughs> and I observed that and I said, wow, that's respect. That is respect. That's respect. And so, you know, as a leader, yes, you do need to lead by example, right? I think that's very important. So I sometimes see myself on my phone listening and I want to, and I want to, you know, slap my hand and say, stop. Remember, it's about respect. I love that you use that story because he didn't tell you how you had to do it. He didn't force you. He led by example. Exactly. He he showed up the way he wanted to show up. And now you sit in a room and think about him and how you're behaving, not because he forced you to do something. Exactly. Because he showed, he showed you a better way that holds you to a higher standard. And I think that's the the really beautiful thing. Let's open this up. You know, again, leader, large teams, very hot topic and something that's important right now is diversity. How do you think about diversity? How do you approach it? Challenges that you've faced with that? Yes, I think this question of diversity is one I, I do get a lot. I see uh, my role as a leader as a, a good way to share my own experience and change and break the bias that I observe in a company. Um, I mean, we talked about a few bias. We talked about age. And if we focus on what it means to be a woman in a male-dominated environment. Actually, my experience, have, I haven't, I've been rather good. I've been evolving in a world of men that were mostly caring. Sometimes, yes, they have interesting comments, to say the least. They have the feeling that, you know, they need to express an opinion on how a woman does something or not. Uh, but I feel I've been fairly protected from of some of the most horrible comments I've heard um, in the industry. But my observations, it's sometimes that, you know, men don't even realize they're making weird comments. And so I see it as a necessity uh, for us to speak up. And, you know, when you hear somebody saying something that, you know, from whatever point of view of diversity and inclusion, not just about women, but, you know, 
we each have collectively the responsibility to say, look, your comment right now was just totally inappropriate. Like any woman, I was mostly challenged uh, on my ability to be a good mom and a good sales uh, person. Um, you know, I remember flying from Toulouse to Sydney, sitting next to a male colleague of mine. My daughter was maybe nine months at the time. And, um, and he sat down and he said, oh, my wife doesn't understand how you can go on the other side of the world and you leave your nine months old baby. Mm. And I was like, well, you have children, right? Yes. How old are they? One and two. Okay. How do you feel about going on the other side of the world? Why is it that a woman should feel any different than a man when they leave? It's hard for everybody. When you go on the other side of the world, you leave your family, you feel sad. It's okay. Um, you feel anxious about the well-being of your family when you're away. And it's not especially a woman's specialty. It's a human specialty. And mm -hmm. so I think it's all about rephrasing that when you hear that and say, put it back to them and make them understand in a very caring way. It doesn't have to be aggressive, but to say, look, you know, we all make our choices. And as long as we're comfortable with our choices, as long as we build the, this support network, whether professionally and personally of people who are there to care for you and help you and listen to you when you have doubts. Of course, in my career, I felt a few times, uh, well, not a few times, a lot of times, I, I questioned myself about how good of a mom I was. And I think that's, but that's any parent's question. Yeah. Whether you travel or you don't travel, whether you have a really demanding job or less demanding job, you know, um, but just because it's more unique today, but it won't be tomorrow, I'm sure. Um, it's not such a big issue. That's a great point you bring up. And I, I always want to tease out, like, I think there are bad actors and there's malicious people out there and those should be honestly dealt with and there's, there's protocol. But I think so many of the microaggressions or the things that take place are out of ignorance or not seeing things. We all have a lens or a way we grew up and we all have opinions. Sometimes somebody will do something five people wouldn't mind and one person would. And I think you, you hit on this idea of like accountability for all of us. And to say to somebody, ouch, that hurt. Sometimes we can offer somebody that reflection and give them the opportunity to reflect and go, is that how I want to show up in the world? I say that kind of stuff all the time. And, but nobody says, and if nobody says anything, we almost don't serve them either. And again, I want to be careful. I'm not taking, you know, there are people I think that are, I think there's different levels, but I think many of the things that happen are out of ignorance and that if we could owe it to each other to share, when you said that, here's how it landed for me and it was hurtful. I don't know if you want to show up that way, but I can tell you that's how it felt for me and letting them have the opportunity to look at that and say, is that how I want to treat the people around me and have them feel by my actions? So I think it's a really powerful point and it also calling in a little bit of empathy because I think we're going to get through this by just being angry at each other. And as leaders, I think it's also our role to share. And I remember having a discussion with one of our senior executives in one of the airlines. He was telling me one person out of five has mental health issues in Australia. So if I transform that into how many people it means in my company and I'm not doing anything about it. And so we started exchanging on that. And then he shared that, um, you know, his son had a um, some form of a mental health issue. I was like, wow. wow, a senior executive man actually says I'm not, you know, my family is not perfect or I have issues or I'm dealing with them. That was this conversation took place maybe five years ago. But see, I can I speak about it with lots of emotion because it was for me a, a one of those moments where you think, wow, if everybody was comfortable to speak up about what they feel, what they 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 see that hurt them, 
what they see that inspire them, then wow, what a just a collective intelligence we're building here. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the whole relationship that, you know, um, I see Australian companies having, the whole behavior they have towards mental health is is so strong. And I think COVID in that respect has put back mental health at the forefront of every company's priority. Mm-hmm. It is at number one priority at Airbus right now. How do we address that? Yeah. And it has taken, uh, you know, a big crisis for some companies to 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 get there, but it's all positive, yeah. right? Because now we can address it, we can talk about it, um, and you know we can make it just like any conversation. It doesn't have to be stigmatized yeah. anymore. Can I ask you if you had to put some adjectives? What adjectives would you use to describe him when he did that? Here's the senior leader, very senior, large organization, sharing about uh, some mental health issues in his family. What what were what are some words that come up for you if you were to describe how you felt about him in that moment? admiration mm. and 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 that day he you know he earned my respect for life mm. because it was so courageous so brave that was my feeling from where i came from and of course i was trying to imagine and reproduce that situation with some of the leaders i know and i was like oh my god it would never happen but i just felt connected to him and i'm asking that question to tie back to what we spoke about earlier the the disconnect between how it feels sometimes to be vulnerable and how the world sees us. And then there you said, you know, courageous admiration for life, trust him because he was vulnerable. And, and, and maybe that's a great theme to, to right here is just a reminder of how the world sees us. If we're willing to take a moment, you know, to, to be more vulnerable. And I just, that was a perfect example of it. It was, it was, and, and it's uh, and it's uh, an example I share with people saying, you know, even him, whatever his position, even him, even him, well, and I know, and I know that he went the extra mile because I, I, he did say that he did, you know, do an internal speech to his employees where he shared his own experience. Mm. So it wasn't just a private moment between me and him. He went bigger, and he used his vulnerability and transformed it into a huge strength. I love it, and uh, and I think that we all, it's 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 a gift that he gave me that day. I cherish that gift, and. To all those that are listening that are in any level of leadership, the, the more senior you are, the more that impact rolls. I mean, he he's probably influenced a lot of people via that and making it safer for others. And that's the power of the privilege of, of senior leadership and influence. So I think that's a, a really wonderful reminder. All right. I have one more question and then we're going to get to the, the final question, air quotes. Um, Marie, what's your superpower? Uh, good question. One of my best friends... <laughs> It's interesting. Told me my superpower was curiosity. Um, and when and when she said that, I was like, "Is it? You know, because you always have this perception of yourself, which is not always the same as what other people think." And then I started thinking about it, and I was like, "Oh, maybe I am curious. I am. I mean, when I meet somebody for the first time, I tend to ask them lots of questions, and actually, people make fun of me sometimes because it looks like you know." mum hosting their son-in-law for the first time at a dinner table, you know, like I'm really curious, but I am because I, I love what people have mm. done, where they come from, why they're here today. And, and, and I love the fact that they're open sharing their experiences. Even yesterday, I had a new team member that I only met on Gmeet and, and first time we met in person. And, you know, we had some really urgent work to do, but I said, can we just stop for a second? Like, how did you end up being a lawyer? And you discover that the, the he started his career by doing a master in physics, which already is quite impressive, and then decided that he wanted to do law and, you know, ends up being a lawyer at Airbus. I was like, wow, 
you know, what trajectory, why? And, and so I think this curiosity, yeah. maybe my best friend's right. I, I do have that superpower. I, I look at myself and I would tend to say that I think my superpower um, is, it, is, is being friendly. That's feedback I've had. Mm-hmm. That uh, somebody once told me that is that because you're honest and friendly, you'll see that the more you, you progress and, and, and when I was, you know, part of a team and I needed help to progress, that people will help you because they find you friendly, because you're a nice person. And I know the word nice, as for some reason, is underrated, like nice is boring or whatever that is. But I think being a nice person, yes, it's, it's uh, I see that my own introspection is what I try to be, a nice person. Look, to anybody listening, and some of you sell, all of us are selling at some level, it's quite possible Marie closes the biggest deals of anybody out there. And curiosity, being a kind person, uh, you know, humility, vulnerability, you know, it's, it's one of the real treats of having you on this podcast and such a good reminder, because I think so many stories about you got to be cutthroat and you got to be this and that, you know, much smaller deals. And you're here to say, nope, you don't have to be. And you're, you're living proof of that. Uh, I try to, it's a, it's a challenge. Huh? And um, because, you know, leaders are expected to, there's still this cliche that leaders are supposed to be strong and, and like iron men and women that, you know, um, but it's changing. It's changing. It is changing. And, uh, and I'm super optimistic. People like you are helping lead the way. I, I'm, I'm trying to at my small level. <laughs> you said authenticity, you, you've, you're being authentic and it's, it seems to be working. So this is the final question, which is the question. I asked you as we prepped, you know, both me and, the, and this podcast and the world, we're thinking a lot about leadership and about humanity at work and about how we think about our organizations. So the question to you, and I'll reflect on it, but also we'll open this up and, you know, hopefully hear back from our audience is what's a question that you have? What's a question you think a lot about or something that you ponder when it comes to these topics around workplace, leadership, diversity, equity, inclusion, that sort of thing? My question is, how can we bring more care inside companies? How can we capitalize on caring for one another? I use this example when I'm sometimes being challenged, you know, how do I walk the talk uh, about diversity and helping others? And there was this movie I saw a long time ago, which I found was beautiful called Pay It Forward. It didn't, wasn't a blockbuster, but a beautiful movie about this virtuous circle where you, when you, you help somebody, that person is supposed to help 10 other people and it goes to the top. So without coming into the Hollywood cliche, I think that in all the interactions you make daily, you meet a lot of great people. And if you are able to help in whatever way that is, you know, connecting, and, and it's not like you're finding jobs. It's not about that. It's that you've met somebody great and that person makes you think of somebody else and you make that connection. And if everybody was, you know, trying to develop that, so that people grow by meeting people, right? They grow when they connect mm. and then they care for each other. I mean, when we see what the world situation today, it's all about solidarity, right? Um, and how can we, as companies, as leaders, make solidarity and caring for people something we don't even think about, that it comes naturally to all of us? Mm-hmm. I think that's my question. It's a wonderful question. I have a reflection. I'm sure other people have thoughts. I've often said in my work, you know, I've been so curious about the space and I too come from a place of 
you know, wanting my own experiences and what led me to, to study organizational psychology and to get into this work. And then I worked with large organizations. I've been working with large organizations talking about how do we fix it? And I'm pointing, if you don't see me, I'm pointing out, fixing it, these big problems. How do we, you know, like what you just said. And it hit me in my journey that the irony in all of this is to fix it. We fix it. And I'm pointing inwards that I think if we can look at how do we take care of ourselves, who is not taking care of us, you know, and really looking at that and saying, well, how am I showing up because of that? And do I want to continue that? And I think it's like what you said is the emotional intelligence that I think if we are willing to do our own personal work a little more and be the change we want to see in the world. So if, if somebody came to me, I want to see more care in my organization, that'd be awesome. And I'd probably say, okay, what's one thing you can do to care more in your organization? You know, if we all just start trying and it's, you know, the Gandhi quote, be the change you want to see in the world. What, what keep, what gets in between us? Cause we all have it in us. I believe humanity, love care, but I think in certain ways it gets squashed or stories are told to us um, that push us away from that. And I think that especially as we become leaders and managers, if you can't get out of your own way and it becomes about you and trying to get your needs met, you'll never be a great manager. And the only way you can get out of your own way is to be able to really understand why am I being hard on myself or what are these pressures I put on myself or who mistreated me as a leader that maybe I have a story that's not correct. So I always have this thing. It's big and complicated and sometimes simple. Like we know how to take, you know, if a family member came to you and said, I just lost my pet or a parent, we'd have all kinds of compassion. Where have we, where have we driven away in our organizations? Why have we disconnected from that? And how do we get back to that? Um, and I think that's the piece. If we all do, you know, our own soul searching and looking and how do we show up better every day that collectively we can fix it without having to fix somebody else. Very true. I couldn't have said it better. Marie, I feel like I've made a friend in this journey. I can't <laughs> wait. To, I hope to meet you in person soon. Thank you for trusting me in this and um, trusting Sprouta in this. And it really, I mean, it's so awesome. I hope, I hope one day we sell planes together. <laughs> You're most welcome. Well, it's been a, a great exchanging <laughs> with you. Same way, like any connection, I've learned a lot. And I'm very, very grateful for your time. And I hope that the people who listen to us will feel they can take something out of this exchange. Wow. I think they will. Thank you, Marie. Thank you very much. Hi, I'm Leonie. And I'm Marcus. And we're the founders of Sprouter. Sprouter is a global ecosystem of experts and solution providers who can help you solve your most complex challenges in people, performance, and culture. We know change isn't always easy. We want to offer you a 30-minute discovery course so you can share some of your challenges, ideas, and insights. We create a safe and productive thinking space to help you gain clarity, identify priorities, and plan your next steps. So let's start a conversation. Head to sprouter.com.